this morning, this weekend, starting a brand new series. And I'm starting this series off of a question that was asked in the Psalms. In Psalms 11.3, uh, the psalmist, the writer of Psalms, asked this question. And, he, and here's the question. He said, if the foundations are destroyed, if the foundations are shaken, what can the righteous do? Now, I would imagine all of us have asked that question at some point in our life. Maybe we've asked it a different way. But we don't need a lot of convincing this morning to tell you that in the world in which we live, the culture in which we live, our foundations are being shaken. I mean, all you had to do was watch the news on Friday, right? And what took place at LAX and some of the other things that are going on in our nation what, and some of the other things that are going on in our country. And so I'm starting this series um, at looking at this issue of shaken. What do we do? What do believers, what does the Bible say that... When our world is shaken, maybe our personal world is shaken. When we go through a difficult season of life or a difficult time of life or when we have marriage struggles or when we have a relations that, that, are, that are strained or, or whatever in life. What does the righteous do? What do believers do? And so when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to go verse by verse through starting at chapter 3 all the way through chapter 5 over the next several weeks. And we're going to begin unpacking this, and we're going to begin answering this question. But when you read chapter 3 through 5, you begin to unpack some things. You begin to see some words, and some words like Paul is saying is, is when the foundations have been shaken, we know. We have confidence. We're competent. And he even goes so far to say is, is we are bold. You see, these chapters remind us that believers, when the world's foundations are being shaken... That our foundation ultimately is not built on that. That our foundation is built on Jesus Christ in Him alone. That's why our theme verse would be verse 12, and it says this. Since we have such a hope, we are what? We are very bold. Here's what happens many times in the life of believers. That when the foundations are shaken in their world or in our country or whatever, a lot of times they begin to shrink back. And Paul says that's the time we as believers, we amp it up. Because we get it. We understand that during those times, we don't shrink back because our foundations aren't built on the things of this world. And that we can have confidence and we can be confident in who we are in Christ. So this morning, before we take the Lord's Supper together as a church family, and, and we, just, we just bring this home through, through the entire morning, let me just give you three things about where our confidence or where our certainty is found. The first thing is this. Our certainty is found... In Jesus Christ. Our certainty is found. Our foundation is in Jesus Christ. Our certainty is found in Christ. In Christ alone. Paul begins unpacking this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. And here's what we write. He's, or here's what he writes. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need some, as some do, letters of recommendations to you or from you? Now we'll understand what that means culturally in a second. You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered to us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of the human heart. Now listen, let me tell you, in their culture and their time, they got it. They understood what Paul was saying. See, first century travelers, they didn't have any forms of identification. They didn't have a passport. They didn't have a driver's license. They... Uh, they didn't have any form of, of identification. So when, when you traveled in the first century, what you would do is you'd go to your local government or you'd go to a prominent person and you would ask them to write you a letter of recommendation. 
so that when you went to, when you traveled and you went to another city, uh, you could present that letter of recommendation and you could establish yourself. You could establish instant credit. And so Paul is using that, and Paul is saying in this writing, he says, you know, I don't need the endorsement of people to prove that I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, your salvation, you meeting Christ and growing in Christ in this body is evidence that I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. And so in other words, he says, my letter of recommendation is this. My letter of recommendation is what God is doing in this church. My letter of recommendation is what God is doing in your life. I mean, many of you, many of you have heard me preach for years. Either I have credibility with you or I don't. But a piece of paper is not going to change that. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying evidence that I'm a minister of the gospel is God's presence on this place. It's your life change. It's your baptism. It's your story. Your changed life is proof. And so he goes on, he says, verse 4, he says, such is the confidence, I'm telling you. All the way through these chapters, you'll see these words confidence and confident and, and bold and, and competent. He says, such is the confidence that we have through through Christ towards God. Not, now listen, this is why I'm titling this message, Be Humble. Because it takes humility. See, a lot of Christians, a lot of people, you know what their trust is, is in? It's in themselves, it's in their intellect, it's in their intelligence, it's in their degrees, it's in their 401k. It's in anything but Him. And it takes humility to come to the point and say the things that Paul is saying. And he says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves, to claim anything coming from us. But watch this. But where is our su sufficiency? Where is our foundation in life? Our foundation is from God. And so Paul was saying, you know what? My confidence is not in the endorsement of people. Listen, if your confidence is in the endorsement of people, I'm telling you, you will ride an emotional roller coaster up and down with opinion polls and popularity polls and everything else. See, Paul got it and Paul understood his confidence was not in himself. His confidence, watch this, his confidence was in God's presence in his life. You know a crazy thing about the times we live in? There's a lot of believers that are really uncomfortable with God's presence in their life. And they've come to the point, I'm just telling you, with our intellect and with our education, I watched it happen in seminary. That you get to the point, if you're not careful, you will begin to explain everything about God away. And if it doesn't make sense, so you're, there are a lot of Christians just really, really uncomfortable with God's presence. And so you know what they'll do? They'll say, well, I believe in God, but really and truly I trust in myself. If it doesn't make sense to me, I can explain God away. And listen, let me just tell you this. If you can explain God away, then he is a small God. And I desire God's presence in my situation, in my circumstance, in my life. I desire to pastor a church to where God does some things that none of us would take credit for. Because we just know we're not that smart. 
telling you, I've watched this happen for 18 years. Who would ever think that a church meeting in a theater in Pueblo, Colorado, that God would do the things that he has done and the life change and the baptisms and the story. And Nehemiah, remember in the Old Testament when Nehemiah, and he, he led the children of Israel to rebuild the wall and they rebuild the wall and all of a sudden, what does the community do? The community says, well, that had to be from God because those guys are not that smart. I want that to be said of Fellowship the Rockies. Do you not know that pastor down there? He's just not that smart. That had to be of God. Telling you it's a dangerous place for you to be. If you are uncomfortable with the presence of God, because here's what I believe. I believe every one of us deeply hungers for God doing something in their life that they could not understand or explain and just know it was him. Uh, a lady by the name of, of Kristen Powers, and Kristen is, uh, now works for Fox and Fox News, and she, she just... Uh, she just wrote an article. She was raised in Anchorage, Alaska, and her dad was an atheist, and he was an archaeologist, and he's just, she said he's just brilliant. I mean, as a hobby, he taught himself Russian. And so she says, you know, my dad was just this guy that was just brilliant. And she says, as a result of that, I was an atheist. And she says, I was raised in a home where we made fun of Christians, and we made fun of their beliefs, and we made fun of all of that stuff. And then a few years back, I meet this guy, and we start dating. And three months into the, the, the dating with this guy, all of a sudden, he had this conversation with me. And up until this point, my girlfriends would ask me, well, what is a deal breaker whenever you date a guy? And she says, well, you know what the deal breaker is? The deal breaker is I'm not going to date anyone religious. And so that was, my, that was my only deal breaker in any relationship. And so I start dating this guy three months into the relationship. He sits down with me, and he says, you know what? I, we just got to have a conversation. I'm at the age to where I want to get married, and I want to settle down, and I want to have a family. And I'm a believer, and I cannot marry a non-Christian. So I need to ask you, what do you think of Jesus Christ? And she said, at this point, I was, I was very, very liberal. And uh, I served in Washington, and I was liberal. And I, I said, well, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And so he knew that I was a liberal, and so he asked me the question. He says, well... Will you have an open mind? And I'm like, of course I will. I'm liberal. We have an open mind on everything. She said, even though down deep, I really wasn't open to Jesus. But I don't want to break up with him. And I don't, so I said, sure. And so he, he took me to his church for the very, very first time. First place, she said that I ever experienced true praise and worship to where people were passionate about their faith and to where they really worshipped. I, I didn't even know what to do with that. And this guy got up and preached named Timothy Keller, if you haven't followed him, unbelievable pastor. And he started challenging me, some of, challenging some of my beliefs. And I was walking on this journey, and here's this guy that is now praying for me, and he's different than any other guy that I've ever dated. He's a man of integrity and honesty and all. He's just different. And she says, I'm in Tawan. I'm on assignment. And I have a dream. And in her words, and in my dream, Jesus showed up and appeared to me and simply said, here am I. Now, depending on where you are with the presence of God, you might say, well, she was just bad pizza. She was thinking about Jesus and wrestling with the whole deal. Or if you really believe in the presence of God, you'll believe. Realize there's people 
that God has done something miraculous in their life and they're scared to share it with other believers because they're worried other believers will explain it away. Tell you, Paul's confidence was in the presence of God in his life and his, and his situations. See, I believe this is why a lot of Christians don't see the miraculous in their life. They want it controlled. They want all their questions answered. They trust in their understanding and their knowledge. and They just explain God. See, the world tells you this. See, so here's, here's what the world tells you. When you have problems in life, trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. Trust in your own instincts. Or how about the most dangerous one? Follow your heart. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can know it? Tell you what, my heart has gotten me in a lot of trouble in my life. Our confidence is not in ourselves, what Paul says. Listen, if you've lived any length of time, you know in the world in which we live, there are challenges that we face that all the self-confidence in the United States of America will not get you through it. That it's paralyzing. What do you do when your company collapses? What do you do when you go through marital problems? What do you do when you go through those dry times of life? What do you do when your older children rebel? What do you do when someone betrays you and breaks your heart? What do you do when you have an illness? What do you do when the doctor's reports come back and it's bad news? Telling you there are things in life that all the self-confidence in the world will not get you through it. But Christians, what Paul says, can be confident. Because our foundation is not in anything other than Christ. I mean, Paul, in, in 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16... There's a situation that happens in, 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 in Paul's life, and it, it just illustrates where his confidence was, where his foundation was built. Watch what he says. He says, at my first defense, so watch this. This is uh, this phrase underlined in my Bible. Um, at my first defense, no one, no one came to stand by me. Amazing thing. Paul wrote more of the New Testament, more words. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul. He planted churches all over the place. He ministered to thousands of people. He had relationships and ministry. And can you believe this? Nobody came and stood by him. And so in the, in the New Testament, I've told you in the Greek language, when they repeat something, it's to bring attention to. And so he just says it a different way. In other words, he repeats it. And he says, but all, not some, all, everyone deserted me. Now, this next phrase, may it not be charged against them, is how we know that he did not put his trust in people. Listen, if your trust is in people, when they let you down, and they will, because we're all sinful, none of us are perfect. I don't care who they are, right? Okay? When your trust is in people, and they let you down, you'll become bitter. Unmet expectations, not Paul. See, Paul got it. Paul understood. My trust isn't in people. My trust is in Christ and Christ alone. And so what, what she says, but the Lord. Okay, the Lord stood with me. Why? Because that's who I've made my foundation. That's who I stand on. But the Lord stood by me. And what? And strengthened me. 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm telling you. That's why this title of this message is Be Humble. Because it takes humility to put your trust in Christ rather than yourself. It takes humility. A lot of people aren't willing to do to humble yourself and say, you know what, God, I'm not competent to handle this challenge. I'm not competent to handle this situation. And I need your presence in my situation right now. And I need you to speak to me right now. Second thing, that if you're going to have certainty when your foundations are rocked, the second thing is this, is certainty is found in grace. And we just got, I mean, Paul, I mean, only like Paul can. He just drives this home. And in verse 6, we're going to keep walking through this. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. So who makes us sufficient to minister? God, not people. So he said, who has made us sufficient to minister a new covenant? Not of the letter. So, he's, so stop right there. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the law. So he says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the law, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Hebrews 2.15, the writer of Hebrews, he says this, and to deliver us, in other words, when we're believers, when we're in Christ, and to deliver all those through fear. Fear of what? Fear of death. We're subject to lifelong slavery. It's a real interesting story, but Billy Graham was recently interviewed, and Billy's in his 90s, and and, uh, and so the, the, the guy that was doing the interview asked him a question, says, well, you know, you were, you were said to be the pastor to presidents, and, and so I just got to ask you, which president did you spend the most time with? And Billy Graham says, oh, that's easy, uh, President Lyndon Johnson. And the guy says, that's odd. I didn't ever look at Johnson as being a religious guy. Why, why, do, you think, why do you think he requested your time more than any other president? He says, that's easy. President Lyndon Johnson had this deep fear. He had a fear of aging, and he had a fear of death. The fact is, Lyndon Johnson was scared, terrified to die. You see, the world perceives that when we die, that God is going to judge us by the law or judge us by rules and regulations. I mean, uh, you, 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 can, you can do the survey for yourself. You know, ask, ask some coworkers, ask some people in the community, and ask them a simple question that, that when you die, you think you'll go to heaven. Now, what happens when you die, and when you die, you think you'll go to heaven? And so you know, the number one response that I get back, in fact, is the number one response that surveys get back is this, that the majority of Americans, the majority of people will say, oh, that's easy. When I die... God is going to take all the good stuff that I've done, and he's going to take all the bad stuff. And as long as I've done more good stuff than bad stuff, I think I'll get into heaven. So the average person thinks what? The average person thinks we're judged by the law. In other words, that God keeps a list of good things and bad things that we have done. But let me tell you something. Some of you that have believed that theology, whether it's a denomination or religion that you came out of, or maybe you believe that now, 
to where it's, it's the good things and the bad things, as long as I do more good than bad, then I make it. Then you know this. That creates a lot of uncertainty, right? I mean, where's the cut line? Who determines what is good? And who determines how much good stuff you need to do to offset the bad stuff? See, that was Lyndon Johnson's problem. Christians should be confident that when we face death, that, that we don't rely on the law. We don't rely on doing more good than bad. That we rely on grace. I mean, my grandmother, when she died, she was an unbelievable Christian. My grandfather and my granddad were just very, very influential in my Christian life. And I was with my grandmother uh, hours before she passed away. She called all 11 of us grandkids in. It's the first person that, I always, that I'd ever seen that died with confidence and grace. She knew where she was going. And she had this confidence in verse, 11, verse 7. Paul is saying, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. And so what he's doing, he's making a comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so if you don't know what that is, if that's confusing to you, the old covenant was the Old Testament. It was the law. It was the letter of the law. The new covenant is in the New Testament, and Jesus Christ brought the new covenant in when he went to the cross, and he, he died for the forgiveness of our sins on the, on the cross. And so when you start looking at this, you realize that the old covenant was received by Moses on Mount Sinai, the law. The new covenant was brought in by Jesus Christ at Mount Calvary. The old covenant, when you look at the Old, old Testament, it was a fading glory. It diminished. The new covenant, it was this ever-increasing glory through life in Jesus Christ. In other words, Moses' glory faded with time. But the glory of Christ increases with time as you walk with him. In verse 10 and 11, watch this. Indeed, in this case, what was once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. In other words, you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying no comparison between the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. See, the Old Covenant, you know what? It demanded perfection. The New Covenant was based on trusting in the perfection of Jesus Christ in, his, his, in, in the cross, the Old Covenant. Listen, the Old Covenant brought condemnation and death and because nobody could keep the law. But the new covenant brings forgiveness and grace and restoration and righteousness. It is forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The old covenant was all about works and religious stuff. The new covenant is all about grace. The old covenant, in case you do not know this, the old covenant only covered your sins for a year. It just covered your sins. The new covenant. You know what the new covenant does? It takes them away. You don't have to live in the junk and the stuff of your past. It doesn't just cover them. Your sins do not define you. The new covenant removes them. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from your own doing. 
It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man can boast. It takes so much humility to say, I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I can't work for it. I can't even pay. I cannot even do enough good stuff to deserve it. It is by grace. That's why he said, since we have such a hope in verse 12, we're bold. We're bold not because of our performance. We're bold not because of the good stuff that we've done. We're bold because our foundation is in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And the last thing is this about certainty. Certainty is found in the deepening of our character. It's the deepening of our character over time. And Paul uses Moses as an, a, as an example. And, and character is what you are deep down inside. Character is what you are when no one's looking. Character is who you really are. And sometimes people confuse character with reputation. Reputation has nothing to do with your character. Reputation is this. Reputation is what other people say about you. Character is who you are. So verse 13, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So, so if you know the story, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, and he met with God, and, and all of a sudden Moses comes down off Mount Sinai, and he starts seeing people, and people are squinting their eyes, and, and, and Moses is like, what's up? And they say, your, your face is shining, your face is shining to the point that we can't look into your, your eyes and to your face. And so what does Moses do? So people uh, could look at him, he, put a, he veiled his face. But then Moses realized that in the Old Covenant, it was a fading glory. And so Moses realized that, that the glory was fading. The, his face was, was not shining like it once was. And so you know what Moses did? Moses kept the veil over his face because he didn't want to know, he didn't want the people to know his glory was diminishing. I mean, after all, who wants to follow a leader with diminishing glory? And so Moses liked the reputation of having a shining face and the guy that met with God. See, our society values the young and the beautiful and the vibrant. And some people believe that we can become confident and competent if we look good and we make the right impression on people. And that's why so many people work so hard at trying to keep a youthful appearance. But, but the world's glory fades. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. In other words, before you meet Christ, because only through Christ is the veil lifted away, taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And so if people are still relying on the Old Testament, the moral code, trying to do more good stuff than, than bad stuff, then you know what it prevents you from seeing? It prevents you from seeing the love of God. It prevents you from seeing his grace and his forgiveness. So at verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, what happens? When you become a believer, the veil is, is lifted. I mean, in other words, it opens up your heart to the, the gospel. And, and you just understand. Verse 17, and now the Lord is a spirit. Remember the letter of the law kills. The Lord is a spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? I mean, that's the first question I ask. 
Okay, so, so where is this freedom and what is, what is up with this freedom? Freedom from what? Uh, I, I think three major fears that, that most people deal with. Freedom from the fear of aging and death. Freedom from the fear of what man can do to me. And freedom from being obsessed with what people say about me or think about me. In verse 18, Paul goes on, and, and, so, and he says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, is being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. In other words, you know what? It's Jesus Christ that transforms us. And guess what? He transforms us from the, the inside out. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, he is a new creation. The old is gone. You don't live in the junk and the stuff of your past. Your sins do not define you. There's freedom. The old has passed away. It's gone. Behold, the new has come. And in other words, this. The older you get, the more you walk with Christ the more you should reflect him. And the more attractive you should be because of years of being faithful and years of just walking with him. It, it takes humility to be transparent. See, there, there's some Christians that you veil your face for one reason or another. And isn't it exhausting trying to pretend you're something that you're really not? Isn't it freeing when we can just be in a church, be with a people group, and we can unveil our faces without any guilt, condemnation, or judgment to where you can say, like I've said many times, my prayer life is not what it should be? When I read Scripture, it's... It's just dry right now. Just going through the motions. Sometimes I say the wrong things. Sometimes I do the wrong things. Sometimes I lose my temper. Sometimes I get frustrated. Can I just tell you this? As long as your trust is in people, you will never be able to unveil your faces and just be honest and transparent. Not with, but with, with people who are around you, who love you, who care for you. See, when you are more concerned with what people think about you than God thinks about you, you'll veil your faces. And, and sometimes the opposite is true. Or sometimes you, you, you have walked with them and you've got this living, breathing relationship that is so deep and, and the glory is increasing. And you know what you do? You veil your face because you don't want to embarrass anybody. You don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. You're worried what they'll say about you, so you kind of you just you play it down, and, and you're tempted not to talk about whether you're a believer or whether you're a Christian. Listen, I know many of you, you work in professions, whether it's school or, or for the government or whatever. Then you know what? You can't witness or you can't talk about your faith. I get that. I understand that. But don't let that be an excuse for your entire life that there are opportunities when God gives you those opportunities to speak into someone's life and to witness to them. This, this last week, I, 
I went to, to an appointment and I got there a little bit early and, and I'm sitting in a chair and I'm in the waiting room and all of a sudden this, this young lady comes up and she plops down in, in the chair next to me. And so she looks over at me and she says, I heard you're the pastor at Fellowship the Rockies. I'm like, why? <laughs> Who's asking? And so I didn't say that. I said, yeah, I'm the pastor at Fellowship the Rockies. And so she got her look, she got a kind of frustrated look on her face. She said, I got to tell you something about your church. I said, yeah. She said, it seems like everybody I know goes to your church. And I'm like, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And she said, I just got to tell you this. And you know the problem with them? I go, what? Every one of them is inviting me to your church. They're relentless. They invite me to your church over and over and over. And so I just looked at her and said, ma'am, I'm, let me just tell you this. In my experience, you're coming to our church. <laughs> just give up. And she goes, no, you, you don't understand. I'm not a church person. I believe this. All good people go to heaven. I don't need church. All good people go to heaven. So I'm just telling you this. You're coming to our church. <laughs> if all of us have to come and invite you. And so you might as well just give up and come. And so she says, you know what? I'll see. You know what that is? Those of you that are inviting her and those of you that are inviting people, that's unveiling your face. To where you just, you get it and you just understand. I'm telling you what, people are hungry for the presence of God. I am. It's one reason we always close with prayer partners. I'll tell you the story in closing, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Last Sunday, something happened that just caught me totally off guard as pastor here. And uh, if you were here, Ergun Kenner, a friend of ours, preached. And, and uh, something happened in the 9 o'clock service. And so he preached, and I got up, and I called for prayer partners, and uh, people were just coming. And so I looked down. He's sitting on the front row, and he's, he's crying. He hadn't seen anything like this in a long time the way you respond and the transparency that's here. And so as people were coming, I just walked down and sat next to him and said, are you okay? He says, I, I haven't seen this in a long time. So we're talking about it. And I'd already released people, and so people were leaving. And there was Dennis, who was standing here, who was one of our prayer partners. And all of a sudden, this elder, elderly man began making his way down. And, and uh, so he waited till the end. He waited till people were being dismissed. And I overheard this portion of their conversation. And all of a sudden, the elderly man looked at Dennis, and he said, you're the unlucky one that gets to pray for me. I'm sorry, it's you. And I'm thinking, it's a privilege to pray for you. And I heard Dennis say, I don't consider it being unlucky. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray God's presence into any situation, any burden that you're going through right now. And it was a moment because people are hungry for the presence of God that breaks into their life that they can't explain away, that they know that is him. 